As we've just heard in the lighting of our Advent wreath, the fourth candle on this fourth Sunday of Advent is all about love. But when we turn to the Gospel of Luke and hear his telling of the Christmas story, we find that at Luke's house, the incarnation is in fact all about hope. Now those two things, of course, are not mutually exclusive, but there is a certain irony in the fact that two of the main characters in Luke's telling of the Christmas story, Mary and Joseph, don't seem to have much to be hopeful about. Mary, teenage girl, pregnant, sort of married, sort of not. Not all the I's have been dotted or T's crossed quite yet on that marriage license. Mary and Joseph, who by both the standards of the world then and today, though maybe not in abject poverty, are almost certainly to be considered poor. Mary and Joseph about to undertake this journey that according to Google Maps is about 100 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, 34 hours by foot. That's not taking into account bathroom breaks or potential bandits along the way or washed out gullies or full-term pregnancy. A long and arduous journey. And yet something, something in this story, according to Luke, compels them forward. Could it be hope? Where do you, where do we find or place our hope? You know, there's a line of thinking out there that goes like this. The more affluent, the more comfortable, the more influential a person or or a church or a society becomes, one of the first and greatest casualties for such people, for such places, is hope. Think about it. Why would someone risk placing their faith in something unseen when they already derive so much satisfaction from those things that they can, they can hold, they can buy, they can, they can taste, they can store up. Instead, this line of thinking goes, people and, and societies who enjoy such comfort, such influence, such affluence, They tend to think of the future not in terms of hopefulness, but rather in terms of hope not. I hope the stock market doesn't crash this week. I hope my kid doesn't fall in with the wrong crowd. 
I hope my spouse doesn't leave me. I hope I don't get sick. I hope this doesn't happen or that doesn't happen. Now, Mary and Joseph, in this story, they don't have the luxury, do they, of being hope-not people. Caesar, who occupies their land, who fashions himself as a god, Caesar has issued a decree. There's no lawyer in all of Palestine, even if they could afford him, who could somehow craft a petition to get them out of the journey that they must take. There's no words that could convince Caesar that this couple who is expecting a child deserves a waiver, at least until the kid is here. There's no GPS to guide them on their way. There's no reservation confirmation number guaranteeing them a room when they get there. There's no health insurance card in their pocket to get them through the door should they need emergency aid along the way. There is literally only one option for Mary and Joseph. Go. All they have is each other. And the hope that they are not alone. The hope that even though it is Caesar who commands their journey, it is the God of Israel who goes with them. You know, in many ways it occurs to me that I think maybe we, many of us, many of you, might feel closer to Mary and Joseph this Advent than any other Advent in our lifetimes. This has been a long, hard year. None of us, of course, are being put on forced marches, but there have been a lot of one-option moments for us this year. Well, there's only one option, Got to postpone the wedding. There's only one option. I I just have to stay home for however long it takes. There's only one option. I think we just have to tell them they can't come. There's been a lot of Mary and Joseph moments for us this year. Many more than we were accustomed to ever before. I think most of us at some level have felt what it feels like to to be vulnerable in a way that we're not accustomed to. To feel just the sheer fatigue of, of doing nothing. To experience isolation, real isolation. There's so many things this year that we just don't have control over. So many things that are just out of our ability to understand. And I'm not just talking about the pandemic here either. You know, ever since May, when more and more information began to trickle out into the public conscience about the events surrounding the death of Ahmaud Arbery right here in our own community, 
There's been a, a group of local clergy, a now growing group of local clergy, black, white, Brunswick, St. Simon's, Jekyll, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Unitarian, Jewish, Missionary, Baptist, a diverse group of clergy who have come together to, to seek to foster deeper relationships in the hope that those relationships will eventually trickle down into strengthened relationships between the communities of faith we serve, but also an intentional effort to learn, to educate ourselves about the very real injustice, the very real hurt that exists across certain lines, but also within pockets, communities, within our own community. I was on one of these calls this past Thursday night, and there was a friend, someone I have known for a while before any of this, but someone who I've come to know much better since all of this, an African-American pastor who serves a predominantly black congregation in Brunswick. And he kept turning his, uh, his camera on and off on Zoom, and finally, towards the end of the call, he spoke up. He's generally a quiet guy, incredibly thoughtful, and he's one of these people who, when he speaks, you, you listen because you know that in the economy of his words, when the words come, they are words with depth and truth and passion behind them. Towards the end of this call, he finally spoke up and he said, you know, I've been turning my camera on and off because I've been wiping tears away from my eyes. He said, you all got to understand, I have been praying for this. I've been praying for this work that we are doing for a long time praying that it would, it would happen, and it's happening. He said, I know, I know this, this work of, of naming and exploring the, the hurt within our own hearts and the hearts of our neighbors around issues of racial injustice and historic injustice. I know it's not easy, and I know for some of you in the congregations you serve, it's not particularly popular work either. But here's the thing he said, the thing we cannot lose sight of, the thing we have to remember is that the power behind us is greater than the task in front of us. Listen to that again. The power behind us, he said, is greater than the task before us. Friends, I have never heard a clear definition of Christian hope than that. You see, Christmas at Luke's house is all about locating, and perhaps for some of us, relocating the source of that hope. Rather than simply living those lives of hope not, rather than simply wishing that certain things won't happen to us, that certain difficulties will never befall us, that certain secrets will never come to light, that certain hardships will never be encountered, Luke invites us instead to find our hope in the truth that in the birth of this child and the life that that child will live, 
and the death that that child will experience in the tomb that that child will walk out of. Luke invites us to find our hope in the truth of that life, which reveals to us that the power behind us is ever and always greater than the task and the tasks in front of us. There's this refrain that if you flip back to chapter 1 of Luke's telling of the Christmas story, it covers chapters 1 and 2 mainly. There's this refrain that shows up multiple times. And the refrain is this, do not be afraid. First, it's the angel coming to Zechariah, the soon-to-be father of John the Baptist. First thing he says to him, do not be afraid. Do you want to know what I really hear the angel saying there? Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for the power behind you is greater than the task in front of you. A few verses later, the angel comes to Mary. Mary, do not be afraid, the angel says, for the power behind you is greater than the task in front of you no matter how terrifying that task might feel. Do not be afraid, the angel says to the shepherds. For the power behind you is greater than the task in front of you. Do not be afraid, the angel says to us. To the person who is lonely. To the person who is overwhelmed. To the person who does get sick to the person who does lose everything, to the family that is overwhelmed, to the loved one who is dying, to the teacher, to the nurse, to the fireman, to the the fast food worker who works and works and works and yet seems to have so little to show for it. The angel says, do not be afraid. To the grieving father, to the community seeking racial equity, to the nation seeking at last to reckon with its past, to a world in need of saving, a world in need of saving. Do not be afraid. For it may be Caesar who commands the journey, but it is God who goes with us on it. Have hope. Have hope. For the power behind us is greater than the task in front of us. Because today, The angel says, a savior is born. Friends, may the hope of our savior, Jesus Christ, be enough to compel us to lives of faith. Even when we can't hold it, we can't see it, We can't store it up. It is there 
for us. No matter what path you are on this day, may the light and the love, but most of all, the hope of our Savior guide us on the way. In the name of Jesus Christ, may it be so. Amen.